0: That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm, Seventh Generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark, it's good for you. That is the power of Seventh Generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm gonna tell you my secret favorite candy, it's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two, so I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you, that's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's your building manager texting you, so sorry to hear about the death of your praying mantis. With a cry laughing emoji. Allie Ward with another episode of Ologies. This week, what is it, what is it, what is it? it? It's emojis, or is it emoji?
1: shit. Anyone who like tries to police how you pluralize a word, you know, there's no right answer. There just isn't.
0: That is Jennifer Daniel, one of not one and not two, but three ologists we have on this very, very giant and dear to my heart episode about curiology. Jennifer is currently an emoji designer at Google who's responsible for designing a bunch of emojis some that you're going to love, like a serious fan favorite, the melting face emoji. And Jennifer is also a member of the Unicode emoji subcommittee, which may have you sitting at home wondering, what the heck is a Unicode? And I promise you, we're going to get into that oh so soon. I didn't know either. And it's fascinating. So who else are we going to be hearing from? Well, there's Keith Brony.
2: From a very technical perspective, it's emoji. But if you look at how people are actually using the term it's emojis. And this is a classic example of language changing. If you want to be really, really technical, it's a a Japanese term, and emoji, picture character, is both the singular and the plural. Keith is the current
0: editor-in-chief of Emojipedia, who, after writing his dissertation on the use of emojis at University College London, became the world's first professional emoji translator, and shares what I would perhaps describe as an academic perspective throughout. What will be this big two-parter on this daily part of our lives? Emoji. And finally, Jeremy Burge, who founded Emojipedia. That was me. In 2013. I did. And until very recently, represented Emojipedia in the Unicode technical committee. We are going to get in the trenches of emojis, the real gritty behind the scenes backstage worlds of these beloved and mercurial little language cartoons. But first, we like to do a little thanks up top. Thank you to patrons who support us and let us make donations every week to charities of the ologist's choosing for as little as a buck a month. You can join patreon.com slash ologies and you make that possible. You also get to submit questions for our ologists. I may be saying your name on the show, but we also like to read a review every week because, as you know, I read them all and then I pick one. And this week's comes from Andrea Ocarina, or Andrea, or Andrea Ocarina, who wrote, Hey Bestie, I feel like Mulder talking to anyone who will listen except I talk about your podcast and not aliens. I hope you read this. Hey, guess what? I did, and maybe I read your name wrong, but I read it a couple times, so hopefully I got it right. Thank you, everyone who leaves reviews. I read them, and sometimes I weep in the best way. Okay, curiology, let's get into it. I've been waiting years for this. So curiology comes from curiologic, which means representing things by their pictures instead of by symbols. And it comes from a Greek word, curiologia, meaning obvious language. And we're gonna kick this off with a bit of debate about this term with our three Let's get into it with curiologists, Jennifer Daniel, Keith Brony, and who you'll hear from first, Jeremy Birch. Okay. There is a little bit of controversy about theology for this topic. Is there? Yes. Okay. Um,
3: I love controversy.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> so this topic has been the inception of all of ologies, which has changed my whole life. Is a big one for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Which is why I needed wow. to like call in the big guns. I feel the pressure now. <laughs> Okay, so Ology started because 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I was on the internet and there was a baby, baby website, like a GeoCities type of website. Okay, or (laughs) Angel
3: Fire or a classic, classic.
0: And it listed all the ologies, And I landed on that page because I was trying to come up with a name for an art company that I was starting. And I wanted to know if Curiology was a real word. Hmm. And I found out via this little website that it means writing with pictures Okay. So I was an illustrator at the time. So like ah. writing with pictures, it definitely I responded well to that. And so I called my company Curiology forever. But I in the back of my head I always had this list of ologies that I wanted to do something with, make a book or do, you know, it's sat. And so when it came time to do an emojis episode, I am of the belief that it is somewhat like writing with pictures because you're conveying something, but you're shaking your head a little. What no, do you think? No, what no, 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 no,
3: no, I, no, I, do. I, I agree. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the first thing that often happens in any kind of discussion of emoji is some people feel like it's a language and a, a way of communicating and it's not, but I think you're right. I'm not shaking my head. In fact, I think I meant to nod <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> because that's the, the etymology of emoji. That's what the word emoji means is picture character in Mm -hmm. Japanese, so I think you couldn't be more accurate almost to the actual meaning.
0: So you are a curiologist then?
3: I love that. (gasps) I mean, that makes me sound much more impressive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You now have an ology title. I'll take that, yeah. And how about our active Unicode board member and an emoji designer, Jennifer Daniel? Does she approve?
1: A free dictionary is telling me the representation of things or sounds by means of a picture instead of symbols or words. So would that be,
0: I feel like emojis, that that applies. And if it doesn't count, you can tell me why.
1: (laughs) Creology is great. Creology is great. You know, when I think about emoji, I think historically, they are firmly grounded in a visual space. Mm -hmm. But as we start to communicate outside of SMS, text messaging, which is kind of a legacy of the past, it's not a purely visual form anymore. You know, it really is supplemental to gesture and intonation and body language and all of these things. But there is without a doubt that emoji have a visual representation, in which case it would be perfectly suitable for curiology.
0: Okay. So far, two for two on curiology, which delights me. But how about the current editor in chief of Emojipedia, professional emoji translator, Keith Brony, who literally wrote his dissertation on the use of emojis. What's his take?
2: In terms of being a curiologist, I mean, the emoji keyboard is not just a set of, you know, literal pictographic depictions of objects. There is a lot of ideograms in there as well. There's the classic heart ideograms, where that's not a literal depiction of a human heart, but people associate that particular design with affection there's also of course all of the various smiley faces that have those ideograms kind of within them as well as the the face with two big heart eyes as the face surrounded by hearts as the face kind of blowing a kind of a kiss that has a little heart there representing it so the emoji keyboard is a kind of a mix of genuine representations of objects but there's also so many metaphorical, symbolic representations of concept as well. So it's kind of a mix of both in the category of the the smiley emojis. I mean, there's so many expressions there that obviously we with our faces cannot literally do. I mean, we cannot turn our eyes into hearts. We cannot turn our eyes into stars. You know, The various ways in which sweat drops or teardrops are utilized across the smiley uh, faces are, are very cartoonish in nature. I mean, a lot of the design conventions used across the emoji keyboard are drawn from comic book conventions or conventions in anime and manga. I had no idea about the
0: influence of comic book art on emoji design, but it also came up talking to Jennifer, who mentioned the work of Neil Cohn, who's a cognitive scientist and a comics theorist. And Neil was nominated for a 2021 Eisner Award, which is like the Oscars for comics, for best academic scholarly work. Uh, And he wrote a book, Who understands comics? Questioning the universality of visual language comprehension. And that presents this theory that he has that drawings and sequential images are structured the same as language. So I don't know. Maybe we can get him on the show sometime to discuss comics. I don't know what that would be. Maybe graphic narratology. Actually, scratch that. I just looked it up and people do use comicology to talk about this art. We're going to workshop it. Maybe a later date we'll have that episode. Anyway, take it away, Jennifer
1: he's amazing. For example, he collected a large number of manga and comic books. And then all the faces that were in each one of these created a taxonomy of the different facial expressions and identified 69 unique expressions that all had very distinct meaning. Mm -hmm. So I took those 69 expressions and then said, okay, this one's represented an emoji. This one's represented an emoji. This one isn't. Oh, wow. Okay this one is this one's like similar enough. But then there was one that was like paperification because it's paper magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when a character kind of wants to disappear, they kind of turn into paper and float away.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And so between that and this other convention, which was changing the opacity of a character to make them more transparent, we got dotted line face. So you're disappearing. And we got Melty Face.
0: Wow. So
1: you are able to take these conventions. And that's the thing is like, you are you can never really make something new. I think that's a common misconception that you have to make something new, mm-hmm. but it's really something that's existed for a really, really long time.
0: One time Jared had this viral tweet about how most domestic partnerships are just urgently demanding that your partner look at your pet. Like, look at them, look at them, even though they're exactly the same as they always are. And I, <laughs> this Tweet continues to make the rounds for years. And I always think that some of the most resonant or successful bits of art or comedy or whatever aren't something that no one has ever seen before, but actually identifying something everyone's familiar with, but no one has really named or pointed out, at least not recently. That also seems to be what makes a successful new emoji as well. So the little tiny picture that you didn't know how much you needed. Anyway, back to talking to Keith about the question of curiology. I asked him if he thought it would be closer to the study of symbolic communication via semiotics.
2: Emojis kind of sit in this fascinating place because they are a part of our keyboards. So it is Fair enough to say that there is a huge element of curiological work in kind of dealing with emojis. There's a lot of semiotics as well. There's a lot of linguistics. There's a lot of design thinking. Okay,
0: I'm calling that three for three. I think that's a slam dunk. Now, some could argue that curiology is a more literal use of images as language, like with hieroglyphics. But until we start an Ix podcast, I'm standing by curiology. All right, let's get into the history of emojis with Jeremy. Jeremy. When did emojis start? You know what? So one
3: of the confusing bits about the early Emoji history is just the fact that, I guess, a lot of us sit around, and I say us, of I'm 38, so for reference. So when Mm -hmm. I grew up, a popular messaging app was MSN Messenger in Australia. I know over here, AOL Instant Messenger was popular. Mm -hmm. And they had, like, smileys as well. And and people are often like, aren't they Emojis too? And Mm -hmm. they look very similar, but the reason that Emoji became... I guess universal it came on every platform is that they existed in Japan and the idea was you could insert them into regular text you could you could have some normal text and put it alongside there it didn't matter which SMS you were using which platform and that's sort of their origin story and then. The world expanded and we needed to be compatible with each other, so the rest of the world needed emoji support. Otherwise, we couldn't talk to our Japanese friends, and our Japanese friends would not be interested in mobile platforms from Apple and Google, which was their priority at the time.
0: And when it comes to how they're displayed on different phones and Mm. different computers, is there a code that says, this is going to be someone weeping and melting, and then every different platform has to have a certain thing that represents that code?
3: Yes, the origin of every emoji having a name is that in the early days, an emoji had a name and each platform could do what they want with that. You'd have an emoji that says, smiling face, and you go, easy, draw uh, that, yeah. <laughs> you won. big tick. But then you get ones like, face with hand over mouth. And this one was complicated because some platforms made the eyes look like they were laughing, some made the eyes look like they were serious. So, if you imagine a face with a hand over the mouth, that can either be sort of shocked, or I'm sorry, or it can be, ha that's very funny. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely been uh, uh, plenty of people online who have run into trouble with this, sort of influences and <laughs> s- sort of minor celebrities who might react to a news story thinking they're being sincere or, you know, shocked, and other people see it on their phone as laughing, uh, which is not what you want to do.
0: Has that, that's happened to celebrities? That has
3: definitely happened to celebrities.
0: Oh, this definitely happens all the time. And some quick Googling will take you to plenty of articles sharing emoji fails, which mostly seem to be related to individuals who are just surely trying to express grief or sympathy through a text, usually related to like an injury or the death of a pet or a loved one. And they use the crying emoji, but accidentally hit the cry laughing emoji, which is just so sinister and cruel. But I did find one little fun celeb emoji mix up pretty recently. And in September 2022, when Queen Elizabeth II passed away, beloved pop diva Cher included in her text of mourning, I'm so proud she was a, and then uh, added the emoji for a bull, which looked a lot like Cher was calling the late queen a cow. Now, initially, some thought perhaps she meant to use the goat emoji, calling her the greatest of all time. However, Astute fans did their own like beep boop beep boop processing and decoded that Cher was actually saying, "I'm so proud she was a Taurus because Cher and Queen Elizabeth II apparently shared the same Earth sign in the sun position of their zodiac charts." And the end of that tweet was uh, that Cher was happy the Queen had a great sense of humor. So I'm, I'm sure everyone in all astral planes got a kick out of it. Cher, when I die, you can call me a cow. It would be an honor. Anything but the thumbs up, and we're gonna get to that later.
3: There's another instance where the drooling emoji for a while there on some platforms looked like you could barely tell the drool was there. Mm-hmm. So, you might think it's just a nice smiley face. And on others, it's sort of this ridiculous cartoon eyes, giant eyes with giant pools of water coming no. out the corner of the lip. Oh, no! <laughs> and if you're posting that going, oh, this looks nice, you might not have even noticed there's a little drool out the corner on one phone. So, mm-hmm. there was an era where that was happening a lot. And then in the last few years, the companies have kind of got together and there's a lot more consistency now. You can be a lot more confident in the last three or so years that your emoji might not have the same style or might be glossy or might be flat shaded, but it's going to look pretty close. Whereas five, 10 years ago, oh, it's the wild west out there with some of them.
0: When it comes to how they're coded, does that mean that different devices have to say, okay, well, when I get this code in that means this is gonna pop up for it. And so we have to make sure that it's not too different so that the cry laugh doesn't look too weepy on one and have a completely different meaning depending on the user.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that was probably something that was less appreciated in the earlier days of emoji. It really felt like, okay, here are a bunch of code points, go off and design them. And I, everyone went off and they are like, I just made the most beautiful cucumber. Like everyone went off and designed their own emoji. And what happened was the opposite of what Unicode wanted to happen, which is that you wanted to be able to send in any language what you intended to someone else. But if I was sending you a cucumber emoji for my Android device and on your Apple device, it is a cucumber, but it's been cut up. Oh, yeah. Depending on the context of why I'm sending a cucumber, <laughs> you can completely different things. Yeah. And no one wants to be misunderstood. And so right. I think in recent years, there's been a real concerted effort to reconcile meaningful variances of interpretation. Mm -hmm. And the ones that were most egregious were probably the faces because one, they're emotional. And so those are a lot harder Are like infinite prismatic emotions are hard to capture in one image. And we're also evolved to read micro expressions. So even something that's an eyebrow that's slightly less concave than another can be interpreted differently.
0: Speaking of misunderstood emojis, I think it's safe to say that one of the most famously ambiguous emojis, we've all been there, It's the one with the two hands pressed together. Are they praying hands or is it a high five? Who's lying? And I'm praying for closure. I'm gonna high five anyone who can give it to me. In this case, Keith, give us a hand.
2: Actually, the folded hands emoji was never intended to be a high five emoji. Now that's not to say that it has never been used as a high five emoji. But if you look at this emoji's earliest designs on some platforms, Take, for example, the Microsoft emoji set. It actually depicts what the original name of that emoji was, which was person with folded hands. And listeners can go to Emojipedia. They can go to the folded hands emoji page. They can go down to Microsoft and they can see all of the historic emoji designs. And what we will see from several years ago is a person with both of their hands folded, their their face a bit solemn. A gesture associated, of course, with prayer or maybe namaste or in certain countries like Japan, like expressing thanks. Now, if you go to certain platforms and you enter in high five into an emoji search bar, it will suggest the folded hands emoji Uh, which is one of the spaces where this possible interpretation has come from. But if you actually look at how people use this emoji, and it actually is one of the most popular across the world, High Five is an incredibly niche use case. I will say this. There is really no right and wrong way to use an emoji. Uh, It all comes down to whether or not the person at the other end of the message you're sending will be able to interpret the emoji correctly.
0: So there you have it once and for all here on Ologies. Is the emoji praying hands or is it a high five? And the definitive answer is yes. So, okay. But let's get back to the early days, the growth and the spread of emoji. When did it make the jump from Japan? Because I remember I didn't get an iPhone until like 2009 or something. And then I remember- When my friend Micah sent me the first emoji I'd ever seen, I think it was like an arm flexing. And I was like, how did you put the tiny picture in there?
3: Good emoji, yeah. It's
0: a great emoji. But when did it start to spread culturally?
3: So around 2009 to 2012, you know, it was almost like a – it wasn't deliberate, but it almost had all the cues of a viral soft launch Mm -hmm. because they were sort of hidden at first. You had to download special apps. And for the first time nearly any of us saw it was when we had our cool friend who'd send us an emoji – and you'd be like, wow, I've got to get that. And mm-hmm. that wasn't intentional at all. It just hadn't, hadn't finished making iOS compatible with Japan. So some people knew how to get to it. Some people didn't. But really, it was around 2012 when they became standardized and you could use them on, theoretically, every phone. And then I don't think the idea the, of them being an exciting item of pop culture that we could all rally around and go, I love this emoji or I like that emoji. And that would have be around 2014, I would say.
0: Do you remember when you updated your phone and had it on your keyboard for the first time?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I remember driving from Arizona to California for some road trip and a new iPhone, I suppose, came out and it wasn't default installed. Mm -hmm. So you had to download this other keyboard to get it to render. So that predates Unicode's involvement in it. But then there's like this big gap, right? Like I remember that moment. I remember using them. But then I... I didn't really know what an emoji really was Mm -hmm. for a long time, actually. In retrospect, I, yeah, I don't know. Like you see them in Gmail, like there was that little lobster guy that, yes, (laughs) animation where it chopped its claws. (laughs) I just used it because he was sassy, you know? And so like, that's not really an emoji, but it is emoji adjacent, but that's true of everything. You know, you just want to like, what is this new thing? What is the
0: difference between an emoji and a monocon?
3: It does depend on who you talk to, but these days we tend to accept that an emoticon is like a text-based character. So like the colon and the smile or the equal sign and the bracket to make a smile, that sort of thing. We did kind of incorporate also these custom ones on MSN. You type them the same way. A lot of your listeners might remember you would type the smiley and then it would replace it with an image. Mm -hmm. Emoji tends to be this very standardized set that a committee agreed to and they're on every keyboard in the world. Whereas an emoticon could be just anything in any app.
0: Well, one reason I've wanted to interview you forever is that you launched a site called Emojipedia. I did. Which is a big deal. It is where people go to figure out what is this emoji? How are people using this? What does this mean if I get this? What does it mean if I accidentally give this? So what led you to want to create an information hub for that?
3: I did like emoticons and emojis, and we all had the thing where we're playing with them. And I've always quite liked technology and get the latest update and see what's in there. And it was exciting one year when no one really discussed this, but Apple, you got, you updated your iPhone and there were new emojis there. And like most nerds do, you go to Google it, you go to have a look, this is around 2012. Mm-hmm. And there's just, I don't know, no one was talking about it. <laughs> and I've, I just figured that didn't make any sense. I'm like, well, like people, they weren't, a phenomenon yet, but they are pretty popular. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why are there no articles listing what the new emojis are? That makes no sense to me. So, it was as simple as that, that it started off wanting to know what the new ones were, and so I'd go through the list, you'd compare notes with friends, or you'd find someone with an old phone, and it evolved, and over time, uh, that was the origin of Emojipedia, and then I thought, well, I also want to know what they mean, or what they're called, and that started a very long journey.
0: (laughs) What was the moment when you decided for it to go from an idea into something real?
3: I'd been playing around for about six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working for universities at the time, setting up sort of their websites and things and trying to convince them to put emojis on their websites. <laughs> I mean, it was some technical issues and they weren't very interested. So it's about six months of playing with them and then one day I was just like, oh, anyone can set up a website. It's not it's not hard. It's like your ologies, angel fire list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first Emojipedia was just one page with a list of names. And it evolved from there. So I would say six months of playing around and then one night of putting something quick together.
0: That's how it works. Yeah. It kind of just like simmers and then... Ta-da!
3: It was the name as well. I remember coming home, it was my birthday. I'd been thinking about the idea. We'd been out for dinner and drinks. And like Emojipedia is such an obvious name. It's not, it doesn't take a genius to come up with it. <laughs> but I'd been playing with the idea of having a site that listed every emoji and what they meant. And I was just like, I've got to go in. As soon as I come in the door, I had a few drinks, but I could still navigate the, the computer, navigate the internet. <laughs> and I'm just like, surely this is going to be taken as a username and a domain name. And it wasn't. So I'm like, that's it you got oh. a name, you, you have to start. You'll be so mad if six months from now or a year from now, someone else does this and you think, oh, I was going to do that.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> How did you start to fill out what meant what? Because things can mean different things to different people, right?
3: They can. So I learned so much. I was an absolute novice. I had no idea when I very first started making this list that they even had an official name, H. I just I was like, all right, let me put each one down. And then I went, what am I going to call them? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, let me just check what, Apple calls them, and I found you could do a text-to-speech thing. And I went, okay, so Apple calls them this, but where are they getting that list from? And this is when I realized they'd been incorporated in the Unicode standard, which is an international standard for every text character in the world. So Unicode is inscrutable, very hard to figure out their documentation, but they had a list on their site just saying, here's every emoji. And I went, oh, I'll use that. Thing. Thanks very much.
0: Who is deciding at Unicode? Because I didn't know about Unicode until very recently. Mm. Who's on the board deciding what emojis exist, what they mean, what they look like? Is there one giant conference table?
3: There is a conference table. Okay. Uh, So the origins of Unicode are very boring, very noble, very, you know, it's 20, 30 years ago, there was no way to have a document that had different languages in it. You had to say, this document is in Japanese or this document is in English. So you had nerds that are into text and internationalization, very smart people came up with this standard. And then when emoji first got incorporated into this standard, you had this esoteric list of little pictures from Japan that a few random guys made up. It wasn't standardized over there. It's just whoever made it up. And then when it became an international standard, the same people who know about fonts and technology, they just sort of by default were the people who were administering the new emoji list. So they weren't necessarily qualified as in they didn't have any special qualification for emoji. They were just text
2: standardization people. So the Unicode Consortium, usually just called Unicode, is an international organization that's made up of a variety of different member companies, primarily tech companies, so like Apple, Google, Microsoft. They basically create this standardization document that talks about how text should be encoded across all digital devices. It actually originates from like the late 80s, early 90s in Silicon Valley. There was discussions between Apple engineers and Microsoft engineers who realized, look, if various different computational devices are being constructed all across the globe, we want to make sure that each of those different devices, regardless of their manufacturer, are going to be able to communicate correctly with one another.
1: Around 30 years ago, the Unicode Consortium was created, and every year the Unicode Technical Committee publishes and specifies the rules and the algorithms and all the properties necessary to achieve interoperability between different platforms and languages. And when I say interoperability, I really just mean you can type the letter A And the person on the other end can see the letter A or Aleph or whatever letter or language you want to, you know, because not just letters, there's also scripts. But anyways, now it's more reasonable that when you send the letter A from your device, the person on the other end will see the same thing. And uh, that's what Unicode does. They basically say, here's a single character set that covers the languages of the world. And emoji are the same way. Letter A has a code point. And what is a code point exactly? A code point is a sequence of letters and numbers that it's like the, the code, the code that renders any number of things. So it, it's the code that renders the letter. Okay. So the code for letter A is U double F1. Oh, then, yes, right? And that's just for the capital A. There's a different code point for lowercase A, which is double O six one. And that's why there is a difference between a capital A and a lowercase A. Now, the way that A presents itself is different depending on the font you're using. Are using Comic Sans? Are you using Helvetica? What are you using? And emoji are the same way. Each one is assigned a code point. So the code point for skull is 1F480.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: And every emoji has a code point assigned to it. So, So
0: yeah, each one isn't a picture. It's a really detailed and colorful letter which oh, yeah. i feel like there aren't necessarily colors in letters and numbers but a letter in a font having all of these details like how are you even telling the computer how to render that
1: well i mean this is this is where it's interesting when we think of what a font is what do you think of
0: oh i, I think of uh i feel like serifs sans serifs italics. I feel like it's it has the bare bones of the structure, but then it modifies it. But I might be completely wrong.
1: No, but that's the thing is we all come to it with a preconceived notion of how a font should operate. You can change the color, you can change the size, you can change how it appears, you can change the formatting, all the things that you just described. Now, font technology has gotten to a place where you can do more than that. You can have color fonts. And so color fonts, while not how we commonly think, Of fonts is a reason why people don't know that emoji are fonts because it defies how you think of them. You're like, no, a font is mm, Arial. I wouldn't say there is a large market for color fonts yet because they are more complex. So I think emoji are probably the most popular use case of a color font. But even with that color, you can't do things to emoji like you can a font, you can't make it italic. You can't bold it, right? So they look like pictures. So you presume it's a picture. And I think that's like a fair assumption to make. Mm -hmm. But the word is Japanese. Like emoji is not, doesn't mean emotion, right? It's a picture character, Mm -hmm. emoji, right? And so if you think about code points, it's the same thing there's the picture. And the character, the code, that's defined. So it is inherently a technical artifact. And all Unicode really does is they have a very lengthy spreadsheet of, it says, like, here are characters on a list, and this is what they mean, and this is what their names are, and this is how they map between different character sets.
0: So does that mean, let's say this skull one, like 0F114, which, by the way, I feel like is a great long hand for one, you want to say that you are dead laughing now.
1: Yes. <laughs> I really do think this is like how funny short work too. The time it takes to find the right emoji, you just don't. So you just write colon dead colon, you know, like uh, yeah. You, get yeah. It. you understand. Or just like shock.gif. You don't even get a, a gif anymore. You just like evoke the idea mm-hmm. of a shock gif. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and <laughs> you know, so I that's good. Love that.
0: Okay, so Unicode does all this cataloging of emojis internally for tech, but how about cataloging them for the public at large who's using them and misusing them? How did all the internal work of Unicode get out there for folks just kind of casually tippy-tapping on pocket computers, us woozy little cows like you and me? Let's bop back to Jeremy and talk about the growth of Emojipedia. Did people take notice of Emojipedia and you? Did people start saying like, hey, what are you working on? Let's show you what we've got coming up. Or when did you start to become an authority in the field?
3: Emojipedia kind of blew up overnight in a small way that because we started publishing lists of upcoming emojis, which I thought was interesting. One day there was sort of news, had not quite leaked, but someone had said, oh, hey, there's some new emojis coming out. And when you looked it up, Emojipedia would come up. And I, by that stage, had gone from treating it like a side project to taking it pretty seriously. You would seen gone from, you know, five visits a day to sort of a thousand visits a day and then 10,000 visits a day. So this is only about a year in. And then I went, all right, I've got to clean this site up. <laughs> uh-huh. I'd done it, but it was a lot of late nights and kind of asking my friends, hey, what do you think this face? You know, I've got the official name here, but for the meaning of what does it mean, there was a lot of just me looking at it and going,
0: hmm this one looks the
3: same as that one, but it's a bit happier. So that would be the description for the first year.
0: Mm -hmm. So while describing each of the emojis was challenging, just in its most basic definitions, with the constant evolution of emoji and culture, how does Emojipedia keep up with the ever-evolving definitions? Just thinking about it. It makes my stomach hurt. It causes me a sense of overwhelmed vertigo. How does an expert cope with this? I asked Keith.
2: There is a lot of social listening involved. There's a lot of kind of data that we're pulling from various sources that we're able to do so, and but also there's a lot of uh, crowdsourcing that is involved as well. Like we have to be tipped off to a certain thing maybe happening on one platform versus another, and we're so lucky that we have such a, a global user base that's very invested in the reporting that Emojipedia does, and maybe tips us off that hang on, have you seen? this happening with this emoji and we'll kind of jump in on the beginning of an emergent viral trend that was the case with for example the triangular flag emoji becoming the go-to symbol for conveying the sense of someone has a red flag you know that term where someone's got a red flag there's a behavior that's incredibly counterproductive or very very negative that gives people uh, to use dating parlance the ick that Emoji had existed on the keyboard for an incredibly long time. By and large, it had always been conveyed as a little red flag, a little triangular red flag. But um, it never really was used to convey that term up until one post goes viral we get the tip off. We kind of monitor the situation. We kind of look into our social listening tools and are able to see a spike in popularity and see the change in terminology that's being you know, used alongside the emoji. People, by and large, use emojis as punctuation with text. So when you see social posts, emojis are going to sit in the same place by and large that you would expect to see, say, a full stop or an exclamation mark or even a question mark. And then you're able to really see, okay, this is what the topic of conversation is in relation to this emoji. And we monitor how it kind of progresses. You see this all the time as well. Um, The saluting face emoji is another one that kind of jumped hugely in popularity recently, actually during the acquisition of Twitter by Elon Musk. As you know, people were being made redundant uh, left, right, and center, they were kind of signing off with a salute emoji. And what we found was that emoji quickly quintupled in popularity. And though it dropped up quite dramatically after the kind of initial furore, its popularity is still more than double what it was before. People almost uh, were made aware that, of this emoji's existence on their keyboard after its virality and now it became part of their more broad emoji lexicon okay so quick
0: aside just because this made me think about an emoji which once i became aware of it i started using all the time and it's this little 8-bit goblin dancing thing and it looks kind of like a purple space invader and emojipedia told me that it's actually known as alien monster i started using it year ago with my friend micah basically as a way of just rating how much i do or very often do not have my shit together. Like I'll say, I'm at like three out of five goblins today. I'm hanging on, I'm not doing that bad. And I know we all have secret meaning ones, but the alien monster, it's one of my favorites. It's just pixelated chaos. But what about Jeremy as the founder of Emojipedia? What's his little favorite? What's his little darling? Which emoji do you use the most? I get
3: bored of the same emoji. So I like a new one. Mm The Melting Face has been excellent in recent years. One of the best new auditions, I think.
0: (laughs) What what do you like about
3: it? The Melting Face, I just like any that are conflicting, which defeats the purpose in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) Every confusing one of my favourite ones that adds some ambiguity in there. And The Melting Face is smiling, but it's melting away. I just, I like that. I I think it adds some realism. It's like talking in the real world. Just a plain (laughs) smiley is just, nah,
0: Mm -hmm. boring. What about the skull for dying laughing? Do you enjoy that juxtaposition of meaning and, and image.
3: I I like that it exists. Mm-hmm. I First, these things happened when I was running Emojipedia. I think that we saw this skull come out of nowhere that Apple one day released a list of, they're trying to show off some privacy feature and they showed off their top 10 emojis used in iMessage. And this is a good year or two before I'd seen mainstream use of the skull. It must've been happening. Uh-huh. It was in the top 10. <laughs> and I had to go, what is going on? Why are people using this? And- Clearly it was happening in younger communities and now it's very widespread. I can't use it myself. I feel like it belongs to the next generation. Oh. I don't think I can sincerely put the skull. What about you? Can you, can you I skull can, emoji for laugh?
0: I can do a skull emoji for laugh, but only when it's also very flat face, like I'm dying laughing. Also, I do want to die from this. Mm. So it has to have a double meaning okay. and, I, and I would only use it in very, very intimate context. Probably I wouldn't just like, text a colleague or, a, you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> yeah. Colleagues get the top five generic ones. The right. laugh, cry, the smile, the thumbs up. Right. I think that's about it.
0: That's it. Yeah. I, I feel like I use the anguish face a little too much. And I, I feel like, like the
3: anguish face. It has a lot of emotion on one face.
0: So much. And I feel like if you had to mine my personal data to see like how my mental health is going at certain <laughs> points, you would be like, she's yeah. using the anguish face a lot. Like mm. she must be on deadline.
1: We all use the same ones, the same two, tears of joy and heart. By a large margin, like one in five emojis shared as the tears of joy. Really? Oh, yeah. And then the red heart for obvious reasons. And then Mm -hmm. there's a long drop off. Mm -hmm.
2: We saw a huge jump in usage over the last number of years in the loudly crying face, the emoji with these two kind of waterfall esque tears running down its face, which was initially created to convey genuine sadness, like absolute despondency, abject melancholy. But because of how incredibly over-the-top its design is, younger generations in particular began to co-opt it as, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed, which can also be, you know, used to say, I'm so overwhelmed because of how hilarious this is, or how cringe-inducing it is. It's actually quite diverse. And of course, uh, one thing that we've certainly seen occur in the emoji keyboard as things have evolved over the years is a, a kind of a much uh, wider embrace of the ironic use of emojis. Millennials and older generations by and large tend to use them in a more earnest fashion or stick more closely to their intended meanings. So if they want to, for example, convey a sense of kind of awkwardness they would opt for the emojis that uh, have been kind of created to encapsulate that sensation. So the classic kind of upside down face or more recently the melting face emoji. But more and more, we're seeing reports of younger generations kind of got a lot more playful when it comes to the emojis they are opting for to convey kind of a sense of awkwardness. There's a lot more kind of sardonic emoji use. We've seen reports of people using the the cowboy hat emoji, for example, to convey a sense of awkwardness because it's just so absurdly happy and it kind of could convey in a certain context just an awkward, okay, I've just got to go along with this even though I don't feel it's appropriate for how i'm feeling at this moment in time because i'm sitting here big goofy smile on my face cowboy hat on again metaphorically speaking just having to kind of go along with this bizarre situation i'm finding myself in
0: okay so we're going to get back into how these new uses of emoji began and how emojipedia keeps track of them all but first every week we donate to a charity of theologist choosing and this week it's going to none other than unicode so the unicode consortium it kind of sounds like an evil corporate empire, but surprise, it's cool as hell and it's a nonprofit. So Unicode is a 501c3 nonprofit. It was founded in 1988 and it involves hundreds of professionals, so many volunteers, and language experts who are helping create and manage standards for software that's deployed on more than 20 billion devices around the globe and it's uniting us in language and giving greater access to expression for so many people so thank you unicode for allowing us to text a drooling face emoji to an ex at 1 a.m and at least be understood if not well received and also thank you to patrons and sponsors of ologies who make those donations possible this episode is brought to you by merrick pet care and y'all know i have a little dog named Grammy which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas, but Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and home style recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it. It's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, KiwiCo, we, we love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. <gasps> That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping in 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Let us celebrate emojis the next few weeks. It's World Emoji Day, July 17th. How can you celebrate? You can toss a couple bucks at Unicode. I'm sure they'd use it. You don't have to, because we did, but you always can. Okay, next week, we're going to have part two with all your questions. But for this part one, let's keep our butts at the edge of our seats, learning the history and the basics of emojis and their constantly evolving meaning. And how does Emojipedia track them? When it comes to who's making the trends, did you find at some point, like, oh, things would start on TikTok, and then they would go to Twitter. And then like, is there a waterfall effect? Like, where does it start?
3: As far as we could tell, and we say a couple of years in, we needed to hire data analysts to figure out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Twitter was easier to mine for data, which helped us see trends in big ways. We could analyze 50 million tweets or 100 million tweets. But it was clear from some of these reports from companies like Apple where they'd selectively show stuff that was happening in private messaging. As far as I can see, it's happening in private messaging first. In small communities, small groups have a little a shared, I say, language, or something that you use between your friends, a little fun idea for an emoji, and it spreads from one to the next. It probably moves privately to Snapchat, and then you get these blurry mixed private public platforms, Snapchat, mm-hmm. Instagram. TikTok is obviously a massive cultural hit now. You know, mm-hmm. the, TikTok is setting the internet culture now. No doubt that is where it's happening now, but at least when I was running it, uh, Twitter was the easier place to see the trends as they hit the mainstream.
2: And of course, a lot of social media platforms today have, have very different generational demographics. I mean, I don't think it's surprising for most people when I say that Facebook tends towards older millennials to uh, older generations in terms of its kind of active user base. TikTok is primarily Gen Z. And you just have platforms like Twitter that kind of exists across different generations, although it does, again, kind of skew uh, millennial and older. And you can actually see completely different trends between these um, platforms when it comes to certain emoji usage. So across the likes of Facebook, say, the face with tears of joy still absolutely rules the roost in terms of the go-to emoji to convey laughter. When you go to TikTok, for example, The face with tears of joy still crops up, absolutely. It's still the number one emoji in the world across all social platforms and and messaging apps. But it is deemed a little chewy or cringe, very okay boomer, perhaps.
0: What about emojis whose meaning between different groups might be very different? Say, the water droplet emoji, which some very sweet and tender souls may use only to mean something straightforward, perhaps like your Mima reminding you not to forget an umbrella because it might sweat droplet outside. Does Unicode worry about regulating that at all?
1: I mean, you know, I, I sometimes joke that like every emoji is a sex emoji. No. <laughs> Here's the thing, when you're working in a vacuum, yes, those anecdotes are really funny, and I love them, and I'll use them all the time. Uh-huh. The, the reality is, is that 80% of the time emoji are used, it's alongside words. So if I'm writing, I'm so horny for you, and I use that emoji, there's no question about what I mean, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. no ambiguity there at all. <laughs> and if you're trying to be coy and not be so overt, then maybe, but, like, if you're having, like, a heated conversation, it <laughs> won't happen, right? So... One of the things I do love about emoji is that it is a parallel to how we already communicate. So think about body language or eye Mm -hmm. contact, like being what might be considered too close physically to someone is considered culturally appropriate in some parts of the world and not appropriate in other parts of the world, or even hand gestures, certain hand gestures are more lewd in one parts of the world than other parts of the world. And so you have to respect that culture when you visit those places of origin and Part of it is being aware. Part of it is learning through experience. And I do think what is great about emoji is that they don't need to be globally, universally understood. You know, there's the mate emoji, which is a drink from a couple of different places. But it basically is this brown, it almost looks like a coconut, the straw in it. And so if you're from Uruguay, mm-hmm. you'd be like, I know what that is, mate. I love mate. Thank you for the mate emoji. Uh-huh. If you talk to someone from like Montana. Uh-huh who's has not familiar at all with Monte, they'd be like, oh, that's a coconut drink. I've yeah. seen that before. You know, everybody <laughs> know use it. They'd be like, I'm going on a tropical vacation. Yeah, this is, this is not, And that doesn't mean they used it wrong. It's like they used it and it was effective to communicate what they needed to say to the person they were talking to. Yeah. And this is just like the Tower of Babel all over again. Platforms like Twitter, where you have a global audience, it's really important to understand who your audience is. Yeah. Versus like, shit-talking with <laughs> a girlfriend. Yeah. Do mean anything? I mean, I use paw prints instead of a heart to indicate oh. love. Just like pet names that we have for our loved ones, people use emoji in, in very personal ways. Well, I wonder
0: if there's anyone that goes by just an emoji, kind of like a mononym, you know, like Sting or a Beyonce or a Zendaya. Like, is there anyone that's just represented? Like Prince. Prince was the initial just call me by this symbol from now on. And I wonder if there's anyone doing that with just an emoji legally.
2: Well, certainly we're seeing a lot of folks try to use emojis as a kind of unique sign off or fandoms, you know, representing their kind of topic of interest with specific emojis i mean you mentioned beyonce there the b emoji is very synonymous with emoji because of the beehive, and the purple heart emoji for example is used hugely by fans of the k-pop band bts so there is certain emojis that are associated with certain kind of performers, celebrities. Now, that's not to say that emoji is definitively theirs, of course. The emoji keyboard is there to be utilized by all of us in whatever way we we fancy. And it ultimately comes down to whether or not the receiver of a message we've crafted with a particular emoji will have interpreted as the way we've intended it to be interpreted or not. And that also like comes down to whether or not that person is within the same quote-unquote in-group as me. Like, are we both members of the BTS fandom? And will that other person know when I use a particular emoji that I'm referring to this member over that member? And that all comes down to, you know, insider knowledge based on the community Were a part of, but that also scales up to a variety of different cultural instances. And in fact, if you explore the emoji keyboard, there's a huge host of emojis that are there that represent certain attributes uh, and certain aspects of Japanese culture, coming from their Japanese origins, that many people in the Western world would look at and have no idea. What this kind of concept is there to represent. Um, and that means that they may just not get used. It also may mean that they'll kind of be picked up and imbued with a new meaning in a certain context because the meaning for that group of people at the moment is not particularly explicit. And then you see these kind of divergences across different cultural demographics or geographical demographics in terms of how certain emojis are being used to convey different concepts. But there's also, you know, emojis in there food, the animals that, yes, are associated with a very definitive thing in the world, but emotionally speaking can be co-opted to mean a different thing amongst a kind of different group of people. And this can be between a couple. There's an excellent academic paper called Why Pizza Emoji Means I Love You from several years ago. that talks about how couples will repurpose certain emojis between each other to kind of convey new information. It can scale up to friend groups with their group chats where they all have shared experiences, their friends are hanging out and a certain thing happens to one member of the friend group. And there's a perfect emoji there in the keyboard to be used to represent that silly or amusing situation. And that emoji becomes a shorthand to reference that Situation, or it can kind of scale up again to other different demographic groups, where you're seeing emoji be used to represent this concept for this demographic group. You can see so many uh, different colorful emojis be used in combination one another to represent sexual identity or represent sports teams, things of this kind. And say, well, I'm going to use the you know blue and white heart emoji beside each other to represent my my local sports team, or you know the light blue heart emoji and the pink heart emoji to represent transgender identity. These are things that people can look to the emoji keyboard to communicate. They can get very, very playful with them in there. But, you know, ultimately, the beauty of an emoji and the utility of an emoji is in the eye of the beholder.
0: And just because experts and designers are more than happy with emoji definitions being so fluid and alive, it doesn't mean that people aren't out there trying to define them exactly exactly as possible, and assign them one singular definitive forever meaning for their own self-serving purposes. And those people are lawyers. The
3: number of uh, defense attorneys that came to me over the years <gasps> that- <laughs> Are you serious? Because uh, Their argument was so funny how it was always the same. I never actually got called into court because they never liked what I had to say. Oh, because no. <laughs> what they'd ostensibly want me to say is that whichever emoji their defendant put at the end of their message meant that they were kidding. They'd normally say something horrific or something, some implication of any kind, and they go, oh, but there was a wink at the end, Your Honour. So, no. so, clearly, the wink means, I mean the opposite of, of this horrific message. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really mean I wanted to do whatever I was going to say that I was going to do. And obviously, I can't say in good faith that's what they meant. I mean, clearly, I'd have to say they probably didn't mean that, but at the very least, I'd say, well, there's no one right or wrong answer but they would pull up maybe a line from Emojipedia and go, well, this emoji you've said here says may imply joking or laughter. And you go, yeah, it might. It might not. In this Mm -hmm. context, it doesn't, but it might. So there's been other court cases where Emojipedia gets brought up was it one with Jeffrey Rush, a defamation case a few years ago where Emojipedia was sort of brought up to the judge and they were debating whether it's reputable or not to say, here's a reputable website, your honour, and here's, you know, the, the emoji that my client used and, you know, this is reputable. And then the other side saying, no, it's, is it reputable? And uh, yeah, it's that's the thing. People want a finite answer. What does this emoji mean? And there just isn't. It's like human expression. that It can mean lots of things.
0: Have you ever had to go up on the witness stand?
3: No. no. It was always the defense, that wanted me, and they do this little thing, which I've never been in a position to want this, but where they do a pretty little interview, they talk to you, they pay you for your time for an hour, and they basically find different ways to ask you, this means that we're kidding, right? And then obviously an hour later of me going, no, no, I mean, I, I'd have to say that it- It's context dependent. And do you want me to comment on this message? No, no, no. Just in general, this emoji, what does it mean? And I go, well, it means three different things. It could mean happy. It could mean joking. It could mean curious. Mm -hmm. And uh, so funnily enough, I never got the call back from any of these people. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, we
0: won't be needing your services after all. That's
3: almost word for word what they would say. (laughs) Or you just would hear nothing. Thank you for your time. Uh, Please send us an invoice for your
0: hours. They just send you an upside down smiley face? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean to you, by the way?
3: Upside Down is one of the clearest as sarcasm. It's found its place on the internet as one of the few that most people mean sarcasm, or at the very least, uh, I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling a little bit up in my head today or some kind of, things aren't right. You know, Mm -hmm. It's, it's upset in some way, but sarcasm is the closest word to describe it. And thankfully, that one is mostly used in that way. I don't think there's as much confusion on that as, say, the wink or the
0: smile. What about ones that are so passe, that are so, how do they say, chuggy? Ch- chuggy. Chuggy. <laughs> chuggy. What about, what's the most just, what's the most embarrassing emoji?
3: I mean, it's got to be the laughing, crying. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, both, both because when people say it's overused, it is because it is the most popular emoji. So mm-hmm. you're going to have that.
0: Is it the most popular? It's still the
3: most popular <sighs> emoji. What about
0: the tears streaming down the face?
3: That's definitely uh, coming in. The the two of those are neck and neck, depending on which platform you're on. Okay. Yeah, they're both very emotive, so they're both useful. But I think it got overdone by grandparents, by meme pages, by corporateness. And I get it. It's very clear. I'm laughing at this. It's a ha-ha emoji, but it's just, you see it so much. It's hard to use. It's hard to use now.
0: Do you think things start in personal chats? Maybe they go to Snapchat and then they go to Slack to die?
3: Yeah, corporate, anything that makes you feel like you're at work has to die in your personal life.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sad. But what about the emoji that have gone so far past popular usage that not even corporate uses them anymore? Or worse, maybe no one ever started using them. What about the least popular emoji? And who invited it
2: to the party? Back several years ago, it was revealed that on Twitter, the uh, aerial Tramway emoji was the least used emoji of the entire emoji keyboard on the platform. And that actually drove users to use the aerial tramway emoji to try and up its usage across the board and remove it from being relegated as the uh, the last place emoji in the world. I'm gonna quote the uh, current head of the Unicode emoji subcommittee, Jennifer Daniel. They've said uh, that there's so many emojis in the emoji keyboard that you know don't get a lot of love maybe because they shouldn't have been turned into emojis in the first place. The emoji keyboard's a a bit of a quote-unquote junk drawer. But when you see one of those emojis, like, for example, the chair emoji crop up, it's just a case of like, oh, wow, someone's really exploring the options there. And in fact, the chair emoji was uh, not too long ago the subject of a bit of a viral trend on TikTok where one influencer declared that they were going to use the chair emoji as a symbol for laughter. And it caught on for maybe 24, 48 hours. So you'd see a lot of chair emojis in uh, TikTok comments. And of course, that was incredibly confusing. And it was just a case of this influencers following decided this this would be a funny way to repurpose an emoji in a really kind of humorous and uh, confusing manner. Now that didn't sustain itself, because of course it was based on a joke as opposed to actual utility. But even those kind of emojis, like the chair, you could kind of even go like the sewing needle. There's so many different emojis that are out there that are just not getting a lot of love. But when they kind of crop up, I never really groan. I'm just like, oh, cool. Someone's really, really diving in deep there. Let's talk thumbs up.
0: Why is it so passive aggressive? Why does a thumbs up get a thumbs down?
1: My feeling is the reason why people think it's passive aggressive is because the person using it is passive aggressive. Right? And yeah. who will use thumbs up? I mean, it's a lot of boomers, right? And their conventions are more formalized and maybe they're being more passive aggressive than your friends. And so it's associated with that. But you can use thumbs up. You can be a cool dude. with uh-huh. can sunglasses face and the thumbs up and be the funds. Like that's a super <laughs> cool way of using it. It's like anything else. It's just you use things with intention and feeling and authenticity. And if it's not authentic, People can tell. They're just like, "Good job on that report! Thumbs up!" And you're just like, "Well, mm-hmm. you too." Like, <laughs> you know. And so that is probably indicative of larger communication breakdowns than the thumbs up. Yeah, oh, just- that's a great answer.
0: What do you think is the most underused emoji? What's the one that you're like, "This one even exists"?
3: Hmm. I mean, there's some rubbish symbols at the end of the list, obviously.
0: <laughs> like what? Even
3: in recent years, I found some of them that I was on the committee that approved a bit boring, sort of, I know. And I'm sorry, you've probably got quite a sciencey group that listen to this, but the lab coat emoji oh. and the oh. test tube. I mean, they're fine. I love them. They're fine. <laughs> I love them. But they get so little use compared to the faces and the flowers and the nature that they're like... Very job-specific, let's say.
0: What's one that you wish existed?
3: The emoji that needs to exist that I don't think will happen, but it does need to exist. It's one that did exist on MSN Messenger. It was an open hug from one direction, and then there was a reverse one pointing the other direction.
0: (gasps) So, someone sends
3: you something sad, or good news, anything. You can send them the open hug, and they can send you the reverse of it to hug you back.
0: Oh, that's so reciprocal and I love it. And
3: uh, that needs to exist instead. There's a boring hug of two silhouetted people hugging and that is very corporate and doesn't make anyone feel warm and fuzzy. Some platforms make it look better than others. Google's one's a bit clearer than Apple's, but that was one of these issues of the, the gender and the skin tones that if you had every man, woman, non-binary person with five different skin tones, you'd have yeah. suddenly had hundreds of hug emojis that are tiny still.
0: (laughs) Just a quick aside, just a heads up that we're going to cover this topic of diversity in emojis and representation and the purposes of emojis, say, versus avatars and a lot more in part two when we return with y'all's questions. Oh, it's so good. It's so nuanced and interesting. So come back next week for that and a whole bunch more. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. We're back in
3: whereas back in the day one benefit all these earlier platforms had they were so small you couldn't really tell the hug emoji on MSN messenger you couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman they are just little pixels right mm-hmm. you had no idea so you could make yourself that person
0: how lucky were we that there was a germ emoji that actually was a coronavirus
3: that was that was exceptionally lucky apple's design was the more popular of all of them i think a few of them looked a bit different early on but yeah, what incredible timing that became. That was briefly the, the top emoji being used. Just like, you want to talk about this new thing, it takes over the world, and you've literally just approved an emoji for
2: it. There was also a huge jump in use of the, of course, with medical mask emoji, which had actually existed on the emoji keyboard since the very beginning. It was actually one of the emojis that was there from some of the early sets created in Japan in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s.
0: Another popular COVID emoji, the syringe and vaccinations. Do you remember, though, when the syringe used to have drops of red coming out the top? Who got to decide when the syringe stopped being a tiny blood fountain? Were you on the board when they decided to make the syringe not have blood gushing out of it?
3: Well, Because the committee doesn't decide what they look like, Mm -hmm. there's this weird dance that all the companies are at the meetings Apple's there, Google's there, you know, Twitter's there. They all have their own designs. But the committee doesn't really say, here's what it should look like. It goes back to probably when Apple changed the gun from looking like mm. a real weapon into a water pistol, and they did that without consulting anybody. Ah. Uh, and fine, I don't have any, I'm not, uh, I have no pro-gun stance. Uh, it didn't bother me being the gun on the keyboard. I think Apple thought they were doing a good thing. I think they thought great, we will be a responsible company. There's a gun problem in America. We will remove the gun and we'll redesign it, make it look like a water gun or a water pistol. And that was complicated because it meant that other phones did not do the same thing. So I could send a toy gun to you and you could see it on your phone and see a weapon. Oh. (laughs) So there's a practical issue. Uh, And then there's also just the other companies probably feeling a bit cheesed off like, Why's Apple over here like making it tough on us now? We didn't do anything. We stuck with the status quo. And now they've given us an issue. Now we have to change ours or not change ours. Like we're a meeting together. Why don't we agree on these things? Mm-hmm. So the syringe, the same sort of thing. I don't think the committee ever officially decided, but maybe there might have been a bit more collaboration behind the scenes. Maybe a little bit more just, hey, we're thinking a maybe we might bump the the blood out of this. And someone else go. yeah, we might, we might do. So I think it's a bit more like that, a bit of wink nudge and see what happens, see what the big players do. And if you're a smaller tech company, you don't have much choice.
0: Were there any of those meetings where people were just fighting? Sometimes me. Really?
3: (laughs) No, I mean, they're very cordial. Everyone's, everyone are, are tech professionals, in more recent years, there's been a more diverse group of people, sort of linguists or lexicographers, people that bring non-tech backgrounds, which is very helpful. Uh, no, it never, it never got emotive in the sense, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're just saying no to an emoji, you know, you're saying no to an emoji and sometimes I would think some of the boring ones, I don't think I necessarily made a stand against the lab coat or the test tube, but, okay. <laughs> but nonetheless, some of the boring ones I'd be more likely to say, I just, I think it's fine. But is this the priority? And sometimes you go, you do it in meeting ease. You know, you go around in circles and you, you bring it back and it gets retabled next month or next mm-hmm. week. There's no, uh, no fisticuffs at the board.
0: Speaking of discussions about what emojis look like and also what emojis we get to have, is it all just nerds at the big conference table having polite arguments? Is there any way that, you, say, you or I could petition to have an emoji added? I mean, what if I, and a lot of people maybe, need a... I'm showing up to your barbecue in the leggings I slept in. Hope that's cool emoji. Or something that connotes, hey, I hope you had a good time hanging out last night. I'm texting you after the hang to make sure that you also thought it was a good hang. How can we get one of those emojis?
1: There's two ways to answer this question. One is Google emoji proposal and you'll find... A website unico.org where you follow the instructions sort of like writing a dissertation though but it's open to the general public anyone can write a proposal but it's not like change.org it's not like write a petition and get your signatures and once you hit a certain number it becomes an emoji it's not that's not how this works it's it's more in the space of academia
0: when it comes to making new ones who's designing them and what is the process of actually designing them? Because I imagine we use them so teeny, but they must be designed on these big monitors, right? They're like shrinky dinks, I just realized. They're like digital shrinky dinks.
1: You know, like that's... it's Well, they're... Okay. How do we answer this question uh, succinctly without getting too wonky about designing fonts? Um, Oh, we love that. I mean, it's true. If if any podcast is going to get wonky about designing... Yeah. Get into it. So... Anyone can design an emoji, right? Just like anyone can design a font. In terms of the process of designing an emoji, I mean, they're all so different. Everything from the seemingly inconsequential, like what side eye the tear should be on versus how melted should the melty face be or what direction should the teapot face or what color should that bucket emoji be? There are so many (laughs) different considerations. And so Phoenix... Okay. A new emoji coming out. Okay. The phoenix obviously is not a new concept. It's been around for a long, 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 long time. And its conventions are fairly similar because they, it exists in lots of different cultures. The Phoenix emoji appears in Greek mythology. It has a representation in Asian culture. And it means all different kinds of things. Obviously, it can mean rebirth, but it also can mean love. It can mean nobility. It can mean a number of different things depending on its roots. It has roots in Egyptian culture and Slavic culture and Turkic culture. And so the phoenix had global representation because it could be found in a number of different cultures around the world and throughout history. So how does that influence the design? Well, as you can imagine, the way it looks in Chinese culture isn't exactly the same as it, as it is in Persian culture or in Egyptian and Turkish. And so how do you design a phoenix that can represent all of those different cultures. And then generally what I do is rather than saying, oh, let's pick Slavic because they have less representation in the keyboard, which you could do. Instead, what I do is I kinda don't pick any culture over another one. And I just pick a little bit of each one. And so no one's happy, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's all Frankensteined in there, but the Phoenix in terms of a symbol is iconic right? There are certain things that we understand it to be. It's, it's gesture, where it's wings open. It's color. It also generally, because of the mythology around the Phoenix, it's it's grounded in um, peacocks. And so the face kind of looks peacock-ish with the little feathers here and the shape of the beak and the, the, the S-shaped neck and uh, the rising from the ashes. And so when we were designing it, we were thinking about how it can be representative of many cultures and how you can design it. So it looks glorious when it's big, but also to your point legible when it's at 12 point size in your Google doc. Right. Uh Yeah. and You have to design it in a way where just like any letter form, like the letter a, you want to make sure that hole in the letter a is big enough to be legible. And so you do that with the shape. So the shape of the neck has enough space between the wings so that you can Separate the different anatomical parts of the bird. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly looking at it, big and small. You're looking at it in dark environments and in light environments. Because now we got dark mode, we got light mode, we got all kinds of different modes. And so all you can because you can anticipate where emoji will appear because they appear everywhere. They're just they're on like smart refrigerators now. I saw oh. one BTM at, at Target like they're oh. everywhere. <laughs> all you can really do is just say like onto itself. It's the best it possibly can be, and where it's most frequently appearing. Mm -hmm. When designing the emoji, we obviously read the proposal, or if you're writing the proposal, is making sure it's grounded in in the right literature, and you confer with experts on the subject as a designer, which is my favorite part of the job. You know, like the anatomical heart emoji was added to talk to a cardiovascular surgeon when. We were uh, redesigning some of our marine animals. We talked to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. You know, so, like, I get these excuses to talk to these folks that really know the space really well and figuring out that fine line between, like, you know, you don't need to design something that would go in anatomy textbook for a surgeon to reference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something that is legible and useful and approachable and not terribly gory. That's where... The third step, I didn't really mention the first and second, but, you know, it's like reading a proposal, <laughs> is really anticipating its purpose in a communication context. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means, like, not embracing reality, right? It means, yeah. like, actually, what, how will it be visually represented? And then uh, one part that I, I don't think the average designer who's proposing emoji, but I do think folks who are designing emoji fonts do consider, is how it works with other emoji in the inventory you know, there's a new lime emoji coming. Like, how do you make sure that it's not just, it's it's distinctive, visually distinctive from the lemon emoji. And so you really want to evaluate and consider its purpose in a communication context and evaluate how it works with other emojis in the inventory. And then of course, another aspect of designing emoji is anticipating how other folks will design it. Because it's a font, it's not a picture. When I send it to you, I want to make sure that you're going to see something meaningfully similar. As to what I thought. And so there isn't much room for creative freedom, honestly, right? You really have to be faithful to the original intent and its purpose and the proposal. And
0: yeah. And what about the actual nuts and bolts of drawing it? I always picture those old, like, you know, animation studios from the 20s where they've got sketches of, you know, characters we're now really familiar with. Where does it start in terms of the shape of it?
1: I mean, it can start from uh, anywhere. I mean, uh, 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 one of our artists, Fiona... She was drawing the jellyfish emoji. And
0: ah, the, by, by the and way, the medusologists are thrilled about that. Uh, so yeah. thrilled.
1: <laughs> we were working with a number of different students studying marine biology, and they looked at all the different types of jellyfish and which one, because you got to pick one. Yeah is going to represent all of it. Is it a box jellyfish? Is it, a, uh, I forget the other a ones. Home
0: like, jellyfish. Yeah, there's so, yeah.
1: More, you know, mm-hmm. what do you got here, right? So you really go into cartoon land and you pick something that is sort of this idea of a jellyfish mm-hmm. rather than a literal jellyfish. Anyways, she did a number of sketches around different types, different colors, different ways it could swim and at the end of the day, you know, you, you go with something that feels it is emblematic and iconic and I mean, the software is not the most interesting, you know, you procreate and illustrator, but then that's just the first part. You have to make a font out of it. And then there's all kinds of font software as well.
0: Do you remember a controversy with a squid?
3: No. Okay. <laughs> oh, v- vaguely, but re- re- refresh me. Is there anything?
0: It had a butt on its face. And the person who pointed that out was a friend of mine who I met because I interviewed her for the Toothology episode. And she was one of the ones that was like, excuse me, I'm a squid expert. And that squid has a butt on its face.
3: Yes, I do (laughs) recall this now. And this sort of thing happens. And often it was then me often going to companies like Apple or Google and saying, hey, someone's brought this up. (laughs)
0: Someone named Sarah McAnulty. What are you going to do about it?
3: And often you wouldn't hear back necessarily, but you may you may get a heads up when it gets updated to go, oh, by the way, you might want to check. Or not. You know, in the end, we just got to the point where we just checked every update religiously. So it didn't matter, you know, what Emojipedia or a new Apple update would come out. Google or anything, and we would download it and check side by side because maybe they released one and they didn't want to tell you about it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it was a bit on the down low. The bagel people didn't like, the the dry bagel with no cream cheese that Apple tried to release. I get that. Uh, They briefly tried to make the peach less luscious. It was... How dare! And people got mad, so... Yeah, how dare. Yeah, those are fun discussions. Uh
0: When you're working with Unicode, when there's a discussion about what's coming up next, are there any emoji that are on the chopping block, like no one uses the fire hydrant, like get it out of here. Anything like that, that you have had to stand up for an emoji or, or say, uh, -uh, no, not that one.
1: I mean, I I try to kind of host conversations about Mm -hmm. it. So to give people space to explore and ask questions, some of it rhetorical, some of it grounded in actual evidence. And I try not to step in unless there there needs to be something that is fact, fact based or Mm -hmm. clarifying or a follow up question of some sort and to hold ourselves accountable to our own guidelines. Right. Like if we're starting to have a discussion about something that seems to undermine a previous one or contradict something, then try to bring that up and and, and and make sure that's surfaced and appropriately addressed because once you add an emoji, you can never remove it, right? They're permanent. They're permanent. So there's no room for experimentation, right? It is it is in the Unicode standard. It is a code point and they never remove the code point once it's
0: added. Wow. Can I ask you some questions from listeners?
3: Yes. Love a listener question. Okay, Power okay. to the people.
0: We have so many good ones. It is boggling so ask smart people colorful questions get ready to celebrate world emoji day on july 17th get pumped about it we'll have another episode with all of your questions next week feel free to share this to anyone who has so many boggling emoji questions it's part of our everyday life want to thank the guests who came on we've linked all of their socials in the show notes thank you keith jeremy jennifer we'll hear more from them next week we are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Allie Ward with just one L on both. Also on TikTok at Allie underscore ologies. Thank you to everyone talking about us on Reddit. Thanks to everyone who shares the show with friends. Thanks also to people at patreon.com slash ologies who contribute to the show. You can also contribute your questions and hear what episodes we have coming up soon. Ologies merch can be found at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Susan Hale for managing that and so, so much more. Thank you, Aaron Talbert. For adminning the Ologies podcast Facebook group, Emily White of The Wordery makes our professional transcripts. And you can find that and bleeped episodes up at aliward.com slash ologies dash extras. Also, we have Smologies available at alleyward.com slash Smologies. They're linked in the show notes. Those are shorter, kid-friendly episodes you can listen to in a classroom or with your Mima. Smologies is worked on by Zeke Rodriguez-Thomas and Mercedes Maitland, as well as Jarrett Sleeper of Mindjam Media. Kelly Art Dwyer works on alleyward.com. And while Dilworth does our scheduling. Additional editing was done by Mark David Christensen. Mercedes Maitland and Jarrett Sleeper took the lead as lead editors on this and did an amazing job especially since I've been traveling the last few weeks. Love you all to bits. Also, Laurel McCall did additional research for this. So big thanks to them for so much heavy lifting on such a big episode. We'll be back next week with part two. Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And If you stick around to the end of the episode, I'll tell you a secret. And this week's secret is that I was just going to open my phone to tell you what my most used emoji is, and I realized that my phone is dead. It's only two in the afternoon. Why is my phone dead already? So I'm I'm at like four goblins, but that's fine. You're just gonna have to wait till next week to find out. Also when I was on Catalina Island last week teaching those climate scientists about SciComm who are lovely, I, I missed a spot on my face, on my upper forehead to hairline where I did not use enough sunscreen snorkeling and now it is peeling. And so let this be a note to Cupping's texture crush. We're all gonna die. And also bangs do offer sun protectant. So don't, let's not forget that. But you do whatever you like. That's the whole point. Do whatever you like. Okay, text your crush if you want. Ask them what their favorite emoji is. Okay, bye-bye.